Welcome to Iron Sharpens Iron, the only daily live broadcast in the New York metropolitan and greater Long Island area on which pastors, Christian scholars, and theologians have a platform to address the burning issues facing the church and the world today. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Matthew Henry said that in this passage, we are cautioned to take heed whom we converse with and directed to have in view in conversation to make one another wiser and better. It is our hope that this goal will be accomplished over the next hour, and we hope to hear from you, the listener, with your own questions. And now, here's our host, Chris Arnzen. Good afternoon, Long Island, New York, Connecticut, and those listening internationally over the Internet. This is Chris Arnzen, your host of Iron Sharpens Iron, and I'm excited that we just... As of yesterday, are now celebrating our third anniversary of broadcasting here on WNYG for Iron Sharpens Iron. This is our first live broadcast in year number three. And I'm delighted that we have, for the very first time on the program, Dr. Gary Habermas. Dr. Habermas is probably one of the foremost experts on defending the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ on the planet. Uh, Dr. Habermas is the author of many books. Uh, in fact, many of these books are specifically focused on the resurrection of Christ. Today we're going to be discussing the book, Did the Resurrection Happen? This is a conversation with Gary Habermas and world-renowned uh, atheist Anthony Flew, who actually, uh, not long ago, did become a theist, although he is not yet a Christian. But we're going to be discussing this uh, conversation that Gary Habermas had with Anthony Flew when he was an atheist. We're going to be talking about defending the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. And uh, we are going to be talking about how to approach this subject, specifically when it comes to conversing with atheists and agnostics. And co-hosting today's program with me is Pastor Ron Glass of Wading River Baptist Church, Wading River, Long Island. If you'd like to join us on the air with a question for Dr. Gary Habermas regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our number is 631-321-WNYG. 631-321-WNYG. Call your family, friends, and loved ones during the station break. Have them tune in to 1440 AM on the dial, uh, especially if they're atheists. And they can listen to this program anywhere on the planet Earth via live streaming at WNYGSpiritofNY.com or at the Iron Sharpens Iron website, sharpens.org, S-H-A-R-P-E-N-S dot O-R-G. Uh, we are going to be interviewing today, for the very first time, uh, Dr. Gary Habermas. Dr. Habermas is one of the foremost experts on defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the planet. Uh, he is on the faculty of Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. He's the author and co-author and editor of many books, including the book we are going to be specifically addressing today, Did the Resurrection Happen? And this book was edited by David Baggett. And it is a conversation between Gary Habermas and his friend, Anthony Flew, who at the time of the debate or conversation, Anthony Flew was an atheist and today claims to be a theist, although he is not yet a born-again uh, Christian. But it's my honor and privilege to have you uh, for the very first time on Iron Sharpens Iron, Dr. Gary Habermas. 
Yes, it's great to have you, and it's my honor and privilege, and especially since it's the very first program marking our third anniversary of broadcasting here on WNYG. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Dr. Habermas. And uh, we could not make the announcement yesterday because I had a rerun that we aired yesterday uh, due to uh, personal matters. I had to take the day off, but it's great to be back live in the studio. If you'd like to join us on the air with a question for Dr. Habermas, our number is 631-321-WNYG. 631-321-WNYG. And uh, let me also welcome to the studio, after quite an absence, uh, it's great to have you back in the studio, Pastor Ron Glass of Waiting River Baptist Church. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, Chris. And uh, many of our listeners were praying for Pastor Glass, who had heart surgery, and I believe this is maybe the first time you've been on since then. No, I was on. Oh, you were on? Mm -hmm. You won after that. Okay. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted... Uh, Pastor Glass to uh, co-host with me today is that he has done a lot of thorough research onto the prominent works by contemporary atheists and agnostics, and we actually did a program addressing their works. And uh, so it's uh, it's definitely valuable to have you in the studio with us today. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Dr. Habermas, uh, what was it first of all that compelled you to specifically, it seems address the resurrection in many of your writings well many uh, years ago I uh, went through well at least 10 years of doubt and uh, skepticism and uh, I checked different evidences people would say well check this out or check that out or look at this or look at that and I studied a wide range of evidences and I just you know I thought some of them were interesting some of them were not as good as Christians thought they were, uh, in my opinion. But the one that I settled on was the resurrection, and I thought that if I could realize that Jesus was raised from the dead, the only logical uh, fallout from that would be that Jesus was who he said he was. I mean, it, it did not make sense that God would raise somebody from the dead who was a heretic, especially in such major areas as who he thought he was and the plan of salvation and so on and no other religious founders are even believed to have been raised from the mm -hmm. dead by their mm -hmm. uh, followers so I thought well this has got to be the key and so I, I dug in and uh, many many years later I'm still doing the same subject and uh, if you could also uh, define uh, what the historical and biblical resurrection of Christ actually is because we do have cults and we even have those within the the framework of uh, professing evangelicalism who have a heretical or non-biblical non-historical understanding of what the resurrection is uh, and today there are more and more people who Christians embrace as brothers in Christ who seem to be blurring or confusing the issue if you could explain what you believe to be the, the actual resurrection account in, in as brief uh, a way as possible. Well, I'd say very simply, New Testament belief is that Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. And, uh, you know, th there may be a different sense of definition between uh, the continuity between his resurrection body and his crucifixion body, but basically the orthodox view is that Jesus was raised in the body in which he was crucified. Um, there was no doubt some change 
Um, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about uh, planting a seed and, a, and a, a, a plant or maybe a tree comes from that and that the tree is, is different than the seed. I, I think that when Jesus shows his uh, scars, that's an indication for sure he, that he was seeking the disciples to notice the continuity between his crucified body and his resurrected body. So I'd have to say that the Orthodox view is that Jesus was raised bodily in the body in which he was uh, crucified, although there could have been, probably were, various sorts of changes. I mean, just one example, we learn, you know, I say that I'm in the same body that I occupied when I was, tw uh, you know, 12 years old, but the people know that I mean, I'd say it's it's still me. This is still, mm -hmm. you know, there's still continuity. But I would know that the body's not exactly the same and there are changes. So, but but I think the key point there, like I said, is that the scars indicate the continuity. Yes, and this was not a ghost, a spirit, or a phantom. It was not a, uh, it, it was definitely and with certainty a physical body. Correct. And uh, one of the interesting challenges you have when you address this with an atheist like Anthony Flew was, is that you're not relying on the same uh, criteria that you would uh, when you're debating a fellow Christian or professing Christian or a liberal who professes to be a Christian or a cultic individual. At, at least there you very often have the scriptures as a starting point, but they, an atheist could care less what the scriptures say. So how do you specifically address this with a an agnostic or atheist, and in a specific sense, with Anthony Flew. Well, years ago, uh, when I was doing my doctoral dissertation on the resurrection at Michigan State University, um, I developed a method that I call the minimal facts method. And basically, if you, your listeners may think of it as a lowest common denominator method. Basically, what I argued was, if the Bible's inspired as God's word, well, then Jesus is raised the dead. If the Bible, and I'm, I'm talking about different views of the Bible here mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. but if someone says, no, I, I don't think the Bible is inspired, but I think it's a good history book, uh, conclusion would still be that Jesus is raised the dead. But if somebody like an Anthony Flew says, no, it's no way, it's not inspired, and it's not even a good history book, but you need to use it the way you would use Homer or Plato or Herodotus or Tacitus or any ancient writer, you take bits and pieces according to which events and claims and so on are most uh, confirmed by data that we have. And so what I did was I studied what the vast majority of New Testament scholars believe about that last weekend of Jesus' life, and I came up with a list that I called the minimal facts which indicate uh, what happened to them. And uh, almost all critics will agree. Where they disagree is what those facts mean. Or are there alternative exp uh, explanations of those facts? But things like Jesus died on the cross due to Roman crucifixion. He was buried. The disciples despaired. They had experiences that they thought were appearances of the risen Jesus. Their life was transformed. Some skeptics like James, the brother of Jesus, and uh, the Apostle Paul came to Christ when they thought that they too saw the living uh, Jesus. 
those are fairly well accepted by virtually everybody, and so it's sort of a lowest common denominator that we can stop and talk about and assess regarding the resurrection. And in fact, you have the reason why you're saying that it's generally accepted, even by atheists, is because you have extra biblical uh, sources for these. You even have some sources, don't you, from contemporaries of the uh, first century church who were hostile witnesses, correct? Well, yeah, we, we do have extra-biblical evidence, for example, of the uh, about a dozen and a half sources we have outside the New Testament that are non-Christian. Uh, the fact that's reported most frequently, two-thirds of those sources mention Jesus' death. But th this, is, this is the strange uh, part of the conversation that most people, somehow people hear me saying something I'm not saying. Okay. Um, we do have backup from outside the New Testament, but when critics say, I'll accept that data, what they're saying is, I'll accept the New Testament data itself mm. because there are reasons to think the New Testament data are true. If you said to a skeptic, what's, what's the best source for the death and the appearances of Jesus, Josephus or the New Testament? The critic will say the New Testament every time. You say, well, I didn't think they thought there was any validity to the New Testament, but they, they, they would take a small percentage of the New Testament, hence their designation liberal or skeptic. They would only take a small percentage, but they would take it because there are checks and balances for those New Testament reports. In other words, they don't care a bit if you use the New Testament. They'll use the New Testament. Mm. They just don't want you to use the New Testament in areas where you don't have confirmation from other things in the New Testament, usually. That's usually the way they argue. Let me just repeat our, our phone number for our listeners if they want to join us in the conversation today with Dr. Gary Habermas on Did the Resurrection Happen? Our number is 631-321-WNYG. 631-321-WNYG. Whether you agree or disagree or just not certain with what Dr. Habermas is saying, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Pastor Bron Glass, uh, before you even ask your own question, if you have one for Dr. Habermas, uh, you did this uh, thorough research, it seems, by reading um, most, if not all, of the the major writings, the major contemporary writings of professed atheists and agnostics. What drove you to do that, since it seems that even liberals have panned these works, liberals and non-Christians? Uh, what was the, the, the driving force behind this, to understand what they were saying? Well, as a pastor, essentially, it was to be able to have a handle on what is being said in the contemporary debate mm -hmm. out there. Uh, not that I was in any way persuaded by anything that they mm. said, but just to, to have an I idea of what is being said. I, I would I would ask Dr. Habermas, um, we as evangelical Christians, of course, uh, view the doctrine of the resurrection as, an, as the, probably the indispensable um, uh, pillar mm -hmm. of, our, of our faith. Um, Paul's very explicit in 1 Corinthians 15 that uh, if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have Christianity. Um, uh, from your conversations, not only with Anthony Flew, but with, with others, what is the state of belief in the resurrection today in the broader Christian world, including the Anglican Church, um, evangelical, not only evangelicals, but especially uh, the liberal community? Like the, like the Jesus Seminar and so forth? Well, and even, uh, I guess from an evangelical perspective, the denominations we would consider liberal right. or apostate. Right. Well, t 
today the the state of resurrection research across the board with the, you know a few pockets being accepted um, is much more positive than it was 20 30 years ago and more positive than it was 150 years ago during the heyday of what was called German liberalism. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example. E.P. Sanders, a, a, a retired New Testament professor from Duke Divinity School, who was a professor at uh, uh, Oxford University before that, he he is known as somebody who's you know to the to the left of evangelicalism for sure, and I believe he even calls himself uh, a liberal. <clears throat> but when he gives uh, a list, like the list I gave earlier, when he gives a list of, let's call them talking points or lowest common denominator that believers and unbelievers can share, he, he lists there, he says this twice in one of his books, he said, the disciples saw Jesus after his crucifixion and death, but the form in which they saw him I'm not entirely sure. Now, that, that a person who could comp uh, call himself a liberal, and uh, he's a you know he's an historian, and that he would go on to say the disciples saw Jesus, not they thought they saw or they were convinced they saw, but the disciples saw him. I'm just not sure exactly what the form was. Um, that's a long way from critics who, say, 150 years ago would say, uh, no way, what really happened was fill in the blank, and they would come up with all kinds of wild explanations, which for the most part are ignored today, for the most part are avoided. So uh, definitely everybody, everybody who does the research, Christian, non-Christian, liberal, conservative, would say something like, it, at least would say something like, the disciples thought they saw the risen Jesus. Something really happened to them. They didn't just make this stuff up. They had a real experience. That much uh, anybody would let you say and, and not quibble. How do you explain this, this change from liberalism uh, a century ago to, to this situation? Well, I think that's because a lot... Well, here's one reason, a, a major reason. A lot of evangelicals have paid their dues, have gone to major... Uh, not evangelical schools. Of course, a lot of them have gone to major evangelical schools too, but a lot of them have gone to major non-evangelical schools like Oxford or Cambridge or Edinburgh or, or Duke or Chicago or any number of schools in, uh, around the world. And they've, they've gotten PhDs in New Testament and theology and philosophy and history and so on. And then they've taken positions teaching and uh, they've done a lot of, of uh, publishing sometimes in peer-reviewed journals so they would get their their articles published in journals that are not evangelical they get their degrees from PhDs from schools that are not evangelical so in other words they, they paid their dues uh, they still believe what they uh, did and people have to to uh, pay attention to them because they're still doing state-of-the-art research that's that's certainly one of the main reasons. But some of the people who are moving to the right today, I mean, there are a fair number of scholars who would say, well, I've moved. You know, I've moved my position to the right. 
Um, I think that's because of the state of research today. A lot of things are going on in the research that support the uh, the facticity, the historicity of the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. So historical higher criticism is basically dying? No, they still apply it, but they apply it in a different way than they... They, they may not apply it quite so, I guess, a lot of evangelicals would say... They're not always quite so liberal in their application. They're still going to say, I'm not trying to make this picture rosier than it is. Uh, they would still apply it in ways that would bother evangelicals to make sure, uh, to be sure. And of course, one of those reasons is evangelicals think that the Bible is God's word in toto, that, that the whole scripture is God's word and the parts as well and the authors and they spoke under the auspices of the Holy Spirit. Critics are still going to take it. They're still going to do their, um, their use their methodology, their higher critical methodology, and they're going to come up with, uh, you know, there's 13 books that bear Paul's name. Uh, I'm going to grant you six to eight of them, and they'll always grant, um, actually, the major books. They'll always grant Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, First Thessalonians. They always grant those, and usually two, three odd other books. And then you have to question if you're going to go out and debate, if you're going to debate at a university, um, an evangelical would have a question. Should I make a point about the five books this guy is not going to grant me, or should I use uh, the half dozen plus books he's going to give me when I can make my point from those books? And they'll usually not spend the whole night arguing about authorship. They'll try to make a point of, in favor of the gospel or you know, ask the crowd what they're doing with Jesus from the books that the critics allow. So if you look at it from the viewpoint of, I don't expect them to admit very much, then you'll be pleased. If you look at it from the viewpoint of, if they disagree with my view, then I won't like it, then you won't like much of what they're saying. Hmm. Would, uh, one of the reasons that even non-Christians, atheists, and so on, would at the very least unanimously uh, or at least close to unanimously believe that the disciples of Christ those who knew him personally who walked with him and ate with him uh, why they truly believed he resurrected and truly believed they saw the resurrected body is because they were willing uh, to be uh, tortured and executed for that belief having seen him and, and compare that with a, uh, a person like a Muslim, for instance, who is willing to die at his own hand today uh, for his beliefs, for something he has not seen. Or, uh, for instance, he, you know, he, he is not a contemporary of Muhammad and so forth, obviously. So isn't there a difference between somebody who is willing, and in fact when thousands, multiple thousands of people are willing to die uh, for uh, for something they believe having been eyewitnesses and so forth, as opposed to somebody who's willing to die for a lie that they have no, no first-hand experience in. If you could explain that. Sure. Um, to me, the sometimes the fact that, that Christians have died and wouldn't therefore die for a lie, it's sometimes used in ways other than we can make the best sense of of evidence, mm -hmm. um, because because of precisely what you pointed out, uh, we have people from not only from different religions who are willing to die for what they believe, 
Um, we have people occasionally who are willing to die for political philosophies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there are many communists mm -hmm. who have died for communism. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember during the Vietnam years, there were Buddhist priests who would set themselves on fire mm -hmm. uh, and die to protest the uh, war in Vietnam. So uh, what, what I think these political and religious causes have in common is this. A person who is willing to die for their faith really believes their faith. That doesn't prove they're right, mm -hmm. but it proves they think they're right. It proves that they believe the political or religious view for which they're dying. Now, with the case of disciples, uh, Chris, you made a, a really good point there. The key is um, there's a difference between people today mm -hmm. who believe their ideologies and die for them and people like the disciples who were in a position to know whether or not they saw the risen Jesus. When a person who believes they saw the risen Jesus dies for their faith, then, then you have a closer argument for them really having seen Jesus. Whereas today, as you pointed out, today a Christian might die on a mission field because they believe Paul's testimony or Peter's testimony mm -hmm. to the resurrection and they die for someone else's testimony. The disciples died for what they uh, believed they saw, and if mm -hmm. you're gonna die for it, what that indicates is that you truly believe it. That's why critics, th th that as much as anything, is why critics are willing to say, well, at the very least, this wasn't a fraud. This wasn't something they right. brought up. This isn't something they lied uh, you know, about it. They had to at least believe that they saw him. And uh, when it comes to the resurrection, that's a huge hint because they were in the right place at the right time to have done the right research to have ascertained whether Jesus really was right, raised from the dead. So that, that's unique evidence. We do have a caller on the line. We have Bruce in Center Reach, Long Island. Welcome to Iron Sherpins Iron, Bruce. Thanks for taking my call, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to uh, Dr. Habermas. How are you today, sir? Doing well, Bruce. Thank you. Good, appreciate coming on the air today. Uh, question for you regarding uh, the NDE phenomenon, the OBE phenomenon, out-of-body experience, near-death experience phenomenon. Uh, could you give us uh, your take on that and the latest research that maybe you're familiar with and, and how that would lend credence towards uh, believing in the resurrection as a general concept, life after death, etc.? I'll take your answer uh, off the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, uh, next to the resurrection... Um, near-death experiences are the subject that I've in, uh, studied the most uh, over a period of uh, I'll have to stop and count here for a minute uh, for about 35 years uh, second only to the resurrection and I spent, spent a lot of time uh, studying the phenomena and now to, to answer Bruce's question I would say near-death experiences Sometimes the phenomena, you know, can be linked to medical and and uh, pharmacological causes, like the medicine you're taking. But many times there is very heavy research, very evidential ways to tell that a person was dead or as nearly dead as somebody could be but in some cases these people have no brain waves and no heartbeat uh, and yet they report something that can be verified 
minutes beyond their their quote unquote death. That's what it's called near death. Um, I don't think there's any line of argument from near death experiences to the resurrection of Jesus, but I think there's uh, a line of argument. I think this this may have been um, what Bruce was after. Um, I think there is a line of evidence from near-death experiences to an afterlife. I don't think uh, near-death experiences help us to tell which worldview is correct. Uh, I do think they're helpful because they tell us which worldview is not correct. Um, in other words, they, they, a Buddhist could stand next to a Christian, could stand next to a Muslim, could stand next to a you know any any religious believer. And they could all say, yeah, my grandmother had one of those. Yeah, my pastor had one of those, like the one I got today. Um, and and they, they could say, well, that indicates to me that there's an afterlife. But we wouldn't be able to decide which religion is true. We'd only be able to decide that it looks like there's an afterlife. Well, there's a guy standing there in this conversation. He's a naturalist. He's like Anthony Flew. He doesn't believe in an afterlife. That's the person who gets hammered. By this kind of evidence it's sort of it, to me it's one of the best indicators that naturalism uh the lack of belief in god or afterlife it's one of the best reasons to believe that that's false then the the believers and the other religions the people who are left in the conversation then they've got to sit there and talk among themselves as to which of the views that believe in an afterlife is correct and that's where i think you believe that you bring the resurrection into the conversation because it's utterly unique in the history of religions. Before we even go on with specific questions about uh, the resurrection, I just wanted you to briefly give our listeners an understanding of who Anthony Flew was and is and why you uh, selected him as a, an opponent for a debate on this issue. Well, the, the person who put the first debate together, Tony and I have had uh, uh, many dialogues, three of them on the resurrection. The person who put the first one together was a good friend of mine, Terry Meathy, mm -hmm. a very accomplished uh, philosopher with a couple of uh, doctor's degrees in philosophy and theology. You co-authored uh, Why Believe God, God Exists with him, didn't you? I'm sorry? You co-authored Why Correct. Believe God Exists with Correct. Terry Meathy. That's right. right. Terry Meathy, same one who put the first debate together, which was called uh, Did, Re Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? And that's when Tony came to Liberty University and we debated here um, on the premises. That was 1985. And uh, so it came together from, from Terry, although I have to admit, you know, I totally agreed with his choice. At that time, Anthony Flew was certainly one of the most influential philosophers in the world. I had to be in the top handful. Uh, we called him the most uh, influential philosophical atheist in the world. And not only that, this is pretty rare, but he was an atheist who specialized in the miracles question. Hmm. Of course, he thinks no miracles ever happened, but he's an atheist who specialized in the miracle question. So when you bring Anthony Flew to your campus, what you're basically doing is saying, here's one of the world's best-known philosophers. He's an atheist, so he's a big contrast with my view on the resurrection and on God. He doesn't believe in an afterlife. He doesn't believe in miracles. But because he specializes this material, you're not going to be picking on a guy who's outside of the field or doesn't know the evidence or whatever. So he was obviously, he was the only guy in the world that would bring this atheism and this philosophy 
and miracle information all together. So he made a great candidate for debate. And since then, since 1985, he and I have actually become very good friends. Uh, but he today, isn't he not, although not a Christian, a theist? And, and I think you've even addressed him as a deist. Correct. Yeah, in, in 2004, actually he was playing around with uh, converting to deism in 2003. Then he said, then he went back to his atheism for a while and he said, he told me one time on a phone call, he said, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a deist. Oh. He said, I'm, a, I'm an atheist with big questions. So, okay. But he, but he does call himself a, a deist and uh, that's where he is now. But he, he came to believe in God in 2004. Great. Well, we have to uh, we have to get a break right now. If you'd like to join us on the air with a question for Gary Habermas regarding the question: Did the resurrection happen? Regarding apologetics uh, toward atheism and uh, agnosticism. Uh, well, you could give us a call at six three one three two one WNYG six three one three two one WNYG. Even if you are an atheist or an agnostic, we would love to hear from you or a member of one of the major religions. Uh, if you're a Muslim, uh, I know that we have Muslim listeners. I get your emails. Uh, if you're Jewish, whether you're a Protestant or Catholic or whatever you happen to be, 631-321-WNYG is our number. 631-321-WNYG. We'll be right back with Dr. Gary Habermas and Pastor Ron Glass after these messages. John Wesley, born 1703, probably did more for England than any other figure in British history. He is credited with saving England from the bloody revolution experienced in France. His untiring zeal for God brought about prison reform, child labor laws, orphanages, medical care facilities, and shelters for battered women. He is a true champion of Christianity everywhere. Come see The Man from Aldersgate, a one-man play on the life and ministry of John Wesley, starring award-winning actor Roger Nelson. This will be held Saturday, September 19th at 7 p.m. at Freedom Chapel International Worship Center on Broadway, Route 110, in Amityville, Long Island. Tickets are $20 apiece and $15 apiece for groups of 20 or more. Call for tickets now at 631-789-5050. That's 631-789-5050. All profits will benefit Timothy Hill Children's Ranch, Long Island Teen Challenge, and Long Island Citizens for Community Values. Call 631-789-5050. 631-789-5050. This one-man play is sponsored by the law firm of Buttafuoco & Associates. For all your personal Injury needs, call 1-800-NOW-HURT. That's 1-800-NOW-HURT. Lord, forgive us. On September 20th, people of all ages, races, cultures, and backgrounds, representing over 200 churches and every denomination, are coming together in Times Square to pray for one hour and ask God for forgiveness on behalf of our nation. I believe that something very profound is going to happen this year in September. But I have to believe that the Lord has called us together to pray for a reason. He wouldn't call us to pray if he had no intention on doing something. And I do believe that as we gather to pray, and if we have the courage to be humble before the Lord, then I do believe that this is going to be a profound year of prayer. We need to pray. Our ways are failing. God's ways never will. Gather with us for Prayer in the Square on September 20th from 3 to 4 p.m. in Times Square at Broadway and 46th Street. Every voice counts. 
For more information, visit nycprayer.org. That's nycprayer.org. BatteryDepot.com provides you with an affordable, easy way to quickly get almost any kind of battery you need without ever leaving your home. Go to BatteryDepot.com whenever you need a camcorder battery, a cell phone battery, a cordless phone battery, a digital camera battery, a laptop battery, a power tool battery, or nearly any other kind of battery for your home or industry. 99% of all orders are shipped within 48 hours. Take advantage of their 99-cent shipping charge now while this special discount is still available. Visit BatteryDepot.com or call toll-free at 1-866-403-3768. That's 1-866-403-3768. BatteryDepot.com's prices are very competitive, and further discounts for multiple orders and tax-exempt organizations are available. Visit BatteryDepot.com now or call 1-866-403-3768. 1-866-403-3768. BatteryDepot.com. of New York, WNYG. Welcome back. If you just joined us uh, today, our guest on Iron Sharpens Iron is Dr. Gary Habermas. Uh, We are discussing his book, Did the Resurrection Happen? Uh, This is a uh, conversation between Gary Habermas and Anthony Flew, a world-renowned atheist. It was edited by David Baggett. Also in studio with me is Pastor Ron Glass of Waiting River Baptist Church who has uh, become thoroughly familiar with the writings of most of the contemporary atheists and agnostics. And if you'd like to join us, our number is 631-321-WNYG, 631-321-WNYG. And Pastor Glass, you have a question for Dr. Habermas. Uh, Yeah, uh, as we talk about the resurrection, it seems that... uh, uh, as we look back over the last couple of centuries and uh, this debate over miracles and over the resurrection, do you think that it, uh, that the fact that as you look at the preaching in the churches over these years, that it seems as though the resurrection has lost its central place, the place that it had in the apostolic Kerygmon, the apostolic um, gospel, Acts 2 and so on. The resurrection was the major point. And as, uh, as I look back on growing up in uh, uh, fundamental churches, I don't remember that it was that central. Is, there, is that a, a problem? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And probably you are, you probably travel in different circles and different churches than I do, my, my first thought while I was listening to the question was, uh, yeah, I think we use the resurrection the same way the New Testament does. And then the more I heard you talk, it sounds like maybe you're familiar with churches that don't, don't give it a central role. The churches I know, Christians are forced to use um, the resurrection a bit more because... Uh, non-Christian thought systems have made such inroads into our culture. Never, certainly in my lifetime, I'd say probably, I can't can't think of a time in 
recent American history where uh, we're losing ground on this sort of, you know, these sorts of topics because according to polls, uh, more and more people say they're no longer Christians or they weren't Christians or they've become this religion or that religion or atheism has grown two to three times among our young people. Now, of course, these are small numbers, but the point is that whatever those numbers are, it's doubling and tripling. And, of course, the New Age movement is still around. Uh, we, we kind of think of it as passe sometimes, but it's still around an extremely influential sort of a, a, a general... Uh, sort of a, a general religious ethos. The, the universe is, is religious. You can pray. You can worship. You can talk to God. There's an afterlife, but it doesn't involve um, specific creeds. It doesn't involve evidences. It's just kind of a general religion for everybody. Um, of course, atheism, like I said, is on the way up. Postmodernism is extremely influential on college campuses. When I first started writing, fellows, uh, 30 years ago, uh, you'd have to almost beg a publishing house to take apologetics works. And they would say, well, nobody's really reading that stuff. Self-help books are in. And so we ignored truth for a long time. And now people are wondering what happens when you talk only about practical things and you lose a handle on the foundational issue of truth what's really true, whether anybody believes it or not. Um, since you get away from that, we have a generation, and I don't mean that as an age group, but we have a generation in America now where they say they're less Christian. They say they're anti-Christ. You know, we've, we've heard statements like, uh, you know, I, I, I like Christianity just fine if that means Jesus, but I don't like the established church. We hear all kinds of things. So, Today, I think apologetics has to be brought to the forefront, and I think the resurrection needs to be the center of that. What I was referring to was, uh, and, and I, I grew up in fundamental Baptist churches a uh, long time ago, and um, it, it was very common, and still is, I think, to hear the gospel message preached in a nutshell, Jesus died for your sins, receive Jesus as your Savior. Right. But not and high emphasis on the resurrection right. along, along with that gospel. Now, here's, here's just, a, I, I would appreciate your interaction with this. That one reason, I mean, we do have a spiritual enemy here, and um, it, it seems to me that if we read very carefully, uh, especially a passage like Romans 6, we understand, I, and I kind of picked this up in some stuff that you uh, interacted with Anthony Flew on, that, that there is a moral perspective involved in the resurrection and that is that if a person if Christ was raised then we who believe in him are raised with him that the effect of the resurrection the death and resurrection of Christ is freeing us from bondage to sin and then that implies uh, the, that we live a life uh, that uh, is righteous in the righteousness right. of God now, I mean, I noticed in uh, one discussion that you had with him that he, when you asked him, um, I think you asked him specifically about Spinoza, and he said the most important thing about Spinoza is not what he says, but what he does not say. He does not say that God has any preferences either about or any intentions concerning human behavior. 
which implies, and, and this I clearly got from Dawkins and the other atheists, the thing that they don't like about Christianity is that it demands a righteous lifestyle. What do you think about that? Yeah, ethics, of course, is in, in, in a general sense. You notice in our presidential elections, one after the other, no party wants to be said uh, that they're not ethical. And, and of course, atheists and atheist writings now. Pastor, you, I'm sure you know, you're reading this material. You come across this all the time. Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens, they want, they not only do they want to say that atheists can be good people too, atheists can be ethical too, but they sometimes want to just really stretch and they'll say atheists, uh, work more for their community. Mm -hmm. They give more. In, to to hurting individuals and to uh, worthy organizations, because everybody wants to be thought of as a, as a do-gooder, for want of a, a better term. Um, but I will say this: uh, some of the most recent statistics have argued that even though Christians have really fallen off the planet on how much they give, I've, the statistics I've seen say that they're down to two or three percent <laughs> of their income. Uh, atheists are way lower. Now, we shouldn't be proud of 2 to 3%, but I'm just saying from the statistics I've seen, Hitchens in particular, who claims that atheists give more than, than Christians do, is just plain mistaken. Now, now back to your other point, uh, Pastor, I, I think you're right, very much correct about uh, Jesus died for your sins, trust Jesus. Um, I've told my students, and they've gone out and looked, uh, but I'll say, look, if you have a collection of tracks or you know somebody who has a track rack or you see people who ha carry these things, take a little random sampling of them and kind of skim through them. And when they have a sinner's prayer at the end or something like that, see how many of them leave out the resurrection. And, I, and I'd say in my lectures things like, I wouldn't be surprised if 50% of them hmm. never mentioned the resurrection. Well, I've had students come back to me and say, it's more like only one-third of them mention the resurrection. Mm. That two-thirds don't even mention it. And I, I think in the New Testament, when the gospel is defined, it is at least the following three facts about Jesus. He's deity. He's the Son of God. Two, he died for your sins. Three, he was raised bodily from the dead. That's at least the minimal gospel content. So how you can be explaining the gospel to somebody and be talking only about the cross? Look... I don't think anybody's going to put the cross down. They are not, and definitely not the blood of Christ. Um, that, that ought to be, but it's only part of the message if they never hear that he's the Son of God and they never hear that he's been raised from the dead. Then there's, that's just the side of what's true about Jesus. The other side is what's our responsibility. What does the Spirit of God lead us to do? And I think that's the... Uh, because you could say born again, you could say a lot of words and people people don't know what you mean by the terms anymore. So I, I, I say that in the human language, to me, the, the words that uh, best seem to portray the kind of commitment the Bible asks for, I'll say that the New Testament really asks us to say, I do, to Jesus. We're saying to him, for better, for poor, for richer, you know, rich and, uh, and then uh, sickness and health and so on and so on. The, the difference is that marriage is not, uh, you know, you're part of death. It's not for eternity. And Christianity is for eternity, so there's a benefit there. But that's the two sides of it. Who's Jesus? At least his deity, death, resurrection, and what kind of a commitment are we are we willing to get on board with him and say he's my Lord and 
And I'm not reading into that anything about the Lordship controversy. I'm just saying the deity of Christ is part of the plan of salvation. And then there's our side where we jump in sort of hook, line, and sinker. We give everything to him. We have to go. Oh, uh, you can actually ask your question when we return, uh, Pastor Ron. Uh, your follow-up question. We have to go to our final break. Uh, if you'd like to join us on the air, this is your final opportunity. This is the final break we're taking. 631-321-WNYG. 631-321-WNYG. Whether you agree with Dr. Habermas or disagree with him, or whether you are a Christian, a non-Christian, perhaps you're an atheist or an agnostic, our number is 631-321-WNYG. 631-321-WNYG. We'll be right back. John Wesley, born 1703, probably did more for England than any other figure in British history. He is credited with saving England from the bloody revolution experienced in France. His untiring zeal for God brought about prison reform, child labor laws, orphanages, medical care facilities, and shelters for battered women. He is a true champion of Christianity everywhere. Come see The Man from Aldersgate, a one-man play on the life and ministry of John Wesley, starring award-winning actor Roger Nelson. This will be held Saturday, September 19th at 7 p.m. at Freedom Chapel International Worship Center on Broadway, Route 110, in Amityville, Long Island. Tickets are $20 apiece and $15 apiece for groups of 20 or more. Call for tickets now at 631-789-5050. That's 631-789-5050. All profits will benefit Timothy Hill Children's Ranch, Long Island Teen Challenge, and Long Island Citizens for Community Values. Call 631-789-5050. 631-789-5050. This one-man play is sponsored by the law firm of Buttafuoco & Associates. For all your personal Injury needs, call 1-800-NOW-HURT. That's 1-800-NOW-HURT. There hasn't been a glory of God come into Times Square. The first year, people were stunned. Silence came. People passing by stopped and bowed their heads. Strangers in the city, people driving by, people in restaurants went to the windows. And there was a sense of God in this event that is undeniable. On September 20th, people of all ages, races, cultures, and backgrounds representing over 200 churches and every denomination are coming together in Times Square to pray for one hour and ask God for forgiveness on behalf of our nation. And I do expect God to do something profound. Perhaps we may live again to see people under the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our city, standing in the streets perhaps, perplexed, not knowing why suddenly they're thinking about God. We need to pray. Our ways are failing. God's ways never will. Gather with us for Prayer in the Square on September 20th from 3 to 4 p.m. in Times Square at Broadway and 46th Street. Every voice counts. For more information, visit nycprayer.org. That's nycprayer.org. The Spirit of New York, WNYG. Welcome back. This is our final segment to today's interview with Dr. Gary Habermas, who is the Distinguished Research Professor and Chair of the Department of Philosophy and Theology at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, we are discussing, did the resurrection happen? And we have in studio with us Pastor Ron Glass of Waiting River Baptist Church. On Long Island, our number is 631-321-WNYG. This is your last opportunity to call if you have a question. 631-321-WNYG. And Pastor Glass, you had a follow-up question. Well, uh, Dr. Abermas, I was wondering, in your conversations with Anthony Flew, it seems like uh, uh, he converted to the theistic position after seriously considering uh, Aristotle and Aquinas and interacting with some of that. 
Uh, when you talk to him about uh, some of the other existence uh, arguments for the existence of God, uh, he was pretty clear that he needed scientific evidence. I guess what I would like to ask you is how much in your conversations with um, Mr. Flew did you interact on the question of revelation? I mean, did you make a case to him as strongly for the truth of biblical revelation as you did for the truth of the resurrection? And don't you think that, in fact, if he's ever going to become a Christian, he has to get over that hurdle? Yeah, I think most centrally we're going right back to the point where we're just before the break. If he's going to to entertain biblical Christianity, he's got to believe that that God has interacted in the world process, namely history, and sent his son and died and was raised from the dead and presents eternal life for those who who to, who uh, give him their lives and. He doesn't believe any of those things. We've talked about Scripture. He has he has a view of the New Testament, and we've talked on and on, on and off about this for 25 years. But he he has a view about the New Testament that it's a pretty reliable book. That what the authors that we have what the authors said. In fact, one time in a dialogue, he responded to a question by saying it was probably the best attested book in the ancient world. But where he really struggled is thinking this it's a direct act of God and that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus was raised from the dead. Those are the... When you start talking about supernatural events, if you talk about a supernatural being, he's fine. But if you start talking about uh, a supernatural events, he'll listen politely and, you know, he'll interact with you and sometimes you just shake his head one way or the other but then he'll tell you he just doesn't believe it. What does he think about Scripture? About Christian? about the about the Bible. Like I said, he he thinks it's reliable, but he doesn't think it's it, that it was reliably preserved. But he does not think that it is God's word to us. He he does not the God that exists in the world, according to Tony Flew, the God that exists in the world is not a God who is worshipped or pray to, uh, etc., because it's the deistic God who creates the world and then is rather uninvolved with us. Mm -hmm. and that's why you, you, you refer to him as a deist. Correct. When our, when our first piece of, re my first interview with him came out, we called it theism. <clears throat> uh, the name of the article was My Pilgrimage from Atheism to Theism. And he said, let's use the word theism because people don't really understand the word deism. Mm -hmm. Then when other people started interviewing after this worldwide story, it turns out that they did have a fairly good idea of deism, mm -hmm. so he started calling it what it really was. Mm. The, uh, there are some who use, try to use the scripture itself, even if they reject it as an authority, to refute the resurrection. And one of the things that they'll say is that the Bible contradicts itself. The Christ right. Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, you have Lazarus raising before that and others. You even have people coming out of the grave on the day that Christ was crucified. Can you explain what the first fruits of the resurrection means? Well, uh, I, I mean, you can go back into the Old Testament mm -hmm. even yeah. and see cases um, of, of resurrection. And I think, uh, take Lazarus or take the example you gave in Matthew 27, Although that case, by the way, it's in the chapter before the resurrection chapter, but it says that these people came out after the resurrection. 
But in some of the Old Testament cases, or the uh, three people that were told Jesus raised from the dead, to me, I think the key is to preserve Paul's sense in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty that Jesus is the first fruits of those who sleep. I think the New Testament meaning is that uh, with the resurrection, he's, Jesus is the first person in history to have died and then to be raised from the dead in a body that will never again die. Mm. And that's not true of any of the other people who died. So I think what Paul's saying is he's our first fruits in the sense that he's the Son of God, he's our Savior, he, he paved the way to heaven, he made salvation possible, and then he received a body that is immortal that will not die. That's the sense in which he is the first fruits. Yeah, when well, N.T. Wright, who I'm sure none of us here would consider biblically sound in many ways, when he was actually trying to defend the, the resurrection of Christ in a, in a debate with someone more liberal than he is, he actually denied the resurrection of Lazarus, or, the, or that, that Lazarus was actually dead in the tomb, in order to defend that Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. I thought that was a rather odd approach. Tom denied the uh, Lazarus's resurrection? Yes, he, because he said, I, in fact, I heard it myself with my own ears, he... Oh. Uh, he said that the reason why uh, Jesus uh, commanded that the tomb be opened, even though he was warned that the body would stink, the reason why he had the tomb opened, because he knew it wouldn't stink, because Lazarus wasn't dead. That, that was his odd way of defending that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. That would be very strange. Um, <laughs> because, I, I mean, I know Tom doesn't think that those folks were raised immortally, and so you still have... Mm -hmm. the New Testament, because he does believe Jesus was raised immortally. Yes. So you yes. still have the sense in which uh, Jesus, like I said, opens the doors, opens the path of salvation, and was himself raised in a body that, that uh, is immortal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to get you that link. Uh, yeah, so, I'd like so. to see that. I'm, I'm really surprised. Yeah. Uh, well, do you have any final uh, thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience on the resurrection of uh, Christ and its uh, central role in the faith before we go? Yeah, fellas, I'll tell you what, this is what I would think about. Too often, I mean, I realize that most of my 18 books on the resurrection are on the historical aspects, and I know I'm always riding the apologetic horse, and I think that's important because of the the, the situation of belief today and, and the tenuous nature of Christianity in this country, according to people's own statements of their beliefs. But I'd like to hit the other side, too. I'd like to say that the, in the New Testament... The resurrection is a center not only of Christian apologetics, but it is a center of New Testament theology, mm -hmm. and it's also the center of New Testament practice. Mm -hmm. uh, almost every major doctrine is linked to the resurrection, and most of the major practices in the Christian life are all said to be true because of the resurrection. I mean, the one that's most frequently said to be true almost 20 times in the New Testament, we are told that we will be that believers will be raised uh, like Jesus. That his, he was the pattern, uh, or as we said a moment ago, the first fruits of those who sleep. So I would like to say, yes, not only is it, is it true and it's highly evidenced, but it also orders our theology and orders our practice. It's the resurrected Jesus who should permeate our, our worship today and per permeate our preaching. Pastor, I think you were going in that direction a little bit. I think it's so important that the resurrection resume, resume its position as the key to theology and practice and not just apologetics. 
I want to thank you so much, uh, Dr. Habermas, for being our guest for the very first time. I eagerly look forward to having you back uh, often in the future. Can you please let our listeners know how they can contact you personally and order your books? Uh, good question. Uh, you know, they can go to my website. I do not sell anything on my website, but I will tell you, GaryHabermas.com, they can find all kinds of resurrection things, all kinds of things on doubt, uh, dealing with doubt. They can find things there. I sell nothing. As far as that book, uh, Did the Resurrection Happen, it's available from InterVarsity. So I would think that they could go to Amazon or they could go to InterVarsity's mm -hmm. uh, website and order the book. I personally don't uh, try to... I try to keep that website clean of anything so nobody thinks uh, that I'm trying to, you know, make a buck when people come there. Yes, you could also go to the Iron Sharpens Iron website for links to order those books uh, that will be posted sometime this evening or tomorrow. Sharpens.org. S-H-A-R-P-E-N-S dot O-R-G and you'll also be able to share the MP3 of today's interview with Dr. Habermas absolutely free it's a free downloadable MP3 and you can email that link to anybody that you know great well I want to thank you for uh, being in the program for our first uh, live program during the third anniversary celebration of Iron Sharpens Iron uh, and I want to thank everybody who listened, especially Bruce and Sederich who called in. And I want you all to always remember for the rest of your lives that Jesus Christ is a far, far greater Savior than you are a sinner.